0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On... Crime Writers On is the original True Crime Review podcast that digs in at true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, a deadly shooting at a Malibu campsite ends in the arrest of a drifter. Is he being framed to solve the community's PR problem? We'll talk about the new podcast, Lost Hills. Plus, if the child of a rich parent can't get into an elite college, one man can help them get in for the right price. We'll look at Netflix's hybrid documentary, Operation Varsity Blues. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, and the summa cum laude of my heart, former TV journalist Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin.
2: I also had to pay my way into that school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator,
3: resident cat lady, and yes, certified pet detective, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, yeah. We had another successful cat find this week.
1: Damn it.
2: Oh wow.
1: God Congratulations. Damn it, Laura. Your detective you. business. You must be making a lot of money in that cat business, yeah? Oh yeah.
3: A, a lot of money and goodwill. Let's just <laughs> take it that way. <laughs> Give rewards in heaven.
1: <laughs> you mean like goodwill, like you have to donate stuff to goodwill to make the money you aren't making in this <laughs> in this business. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Laura, but that's okay.
2: I've got a business for you. How about this? I'll kidnap the cats. Uh-huh. And then you rescue them for a reward.
1: But only kidnap rich Ooh. people's cats. Well, of course. Yes, like a grift. Yes. Okay. We don't want no podunk baby cats. By the way, Carol Baskin, you didn't hear that. But if one of your, like, lions <laughs> goes missing, you know where to look now. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Stranger Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby.
4: Gag me with a spoon, Rebecca.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing I just want to mention for those of you out there who are listening to this podcast who may be waiting uh, like I am because you might be too young or not have any health conditions, uh, but mostly too young to get your yeah, vaccine. You're so young. <laughs> um, my fellow podcasters, all of you or at least partially inoculated, congratulations. Laura, congratulations
3: to you. Thank you. You were first, right? I was first. Um, Yeah, I'm volunteering at the vaccine clinics. And so part of the condition when you're a volunteer is you're able to get a vaccine, obviously. And I posted this on our Facebook group, and I was so excited to see we had so many listeners who are also volunteering at vaccine clinics around the country and even out of the country and other places. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool to see.
2: And Toby, you got yours, what was it, last week? Late last week or early this
4: week? No, I got it on Monday, which okay. was like the first day that we could do it. But yeah.
3: Kevin always
1: forgets how uh, old you are. Kevin was like, why was Toby able to bit? I'm like, because he's in his 50s, Kevin.
3: That's why.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what do you? So what group are you in? The 2B. 2B? Yeah. 2B. Just, ah.
3: just ask him how old he is, Kevin. Is that what you really no, want to no, know? No, no, no. <laughs> no,
2: like I'm in 1B, so I feel like I should be ahead of all you motherfuckers. Cancer. But- I I made my appointment, but at the time, with the with the amount of vaccine available, I was booked out two months. Yeah, and so fortunately, we've you know as as happened in most places, we've got more vaccine, and a lot of those people have been able to. We've moved up; they moved up a lot of those appointments, except mine. Yeah. So Toby got his on Monday, and I got mine on Tuesday.
1: So Toby, you another one to get, or did you get the one and done?
2: No, I got another one to get
4: in like three weeks. Mm. But you know what happened is. And so it was like eight o'clock when the uh, the portal opened or whatever, mm-hmm. and so we got on at like seven fifty seven. There was some stuff you had to fill out. Oh yeah, and then I filled it out and hit go, and it like I instantly was put into this thing, and I was like, okay, I'll pick this time and this place. And I was out, and it took like three minutes. And I was like, "Holy shit, this thing worked awesome!" And then I like texted a couple of friends. I'm like, "I got it. When's your thing gonna be?" Like, figuring they're gonna be like, "Ah, oh, it's gonna be awesome." You know, I'm getting. And everybody's like, "I can't get in." The
1: site crashed. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like,
4: "Oh fuck.
1: <laughs> Yeah, we reported <laughs> like, on that. my so user- I guess site.
4: I guess I'm the asshole. So here's <laughs> so
1: here's my plan. So it was just announced today that I'm gonna be able to make an appointment, which doesn't mean I'm gonna get it anytime soon, but I'm gonna be able to make an appointment on the day this show drops. Yeah, but that's good. Yes. Yeah. But I have now covered so many of these, like, it's the first day you can do X that now I know. Go in at, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, don't try to do it at, like, 8 in the... Just don't do it at 8 in the morning because everyone else is doing it at 8 in
2: the morning. Uh, do it as soon as you can.
4: Hey, man, and, it took me it literally 8.03...
1: I know. It's like concert I tickets. Somebody my gets in
2: the front row. Yeah.
1: Listen, some of us really enjoy working at home, and we're happy to wait like a little bit longer, maybe.
2: Right. <laughs> you know, and it's and we can like needle one another, but vaccine gatekeeping, as far as shaming people or like saying, well, no, you shouldn't get it. I need to get it ahead of you," or whatever. Everybody needs to get it. Yes. And so, but you know, I felt badly. I was in line and was talking with somebody, and I had a one thirty appointment, and a guy behind me had one twenty five, and I felt like. He's mad at me because I'm going, I jumped ahead of him to five minutes. It's fine. It's all fine. No, it
3: it is fine because I'll tell you from the behind the scenes Mm -hmm. of this and like Massachusetts is where I'm working at the vaccine clinics. And what's happening there is you can go anywhere in the state that you can find a clinic appointment. And what people are doing is like booking all over the place and then just not going. So Saturday when I was working, all of a sudden they were like, holy shit, there's like a hundred doses left over. Mm. And so it was just they started calling people like, you know, if you lived in that town, Rebecca, you would have been somebody would have called you and said, come on down. And, and then they like opened the doors like the cattle call. It was insane. Yeah. And I had to ask some 80 year old man, are you pregnant or breastfeeding? There's there's one there's one
1: aspect to this that I love. And I actually pitched this as a story to one of our reporters in the newsroom this week. Kevin, where did you get your vaccine?
2: I got mine in what had been the houseware section. And an abandoned <laughs> Sears. In the in the most ghost the mall. Guys, remember when we did that live event at oh, what yeah. had been at the Dead Mall. At the mall yes. what, what was that story that it had been?
1: It
3: was like a uh, Lord and Taylor or no, something? No, it had been like um Coldwater Creek, <laughs> yes, that was it. Because we had yeah. dressing rooms. Remember, we had the dressing rooms yeah. with our names. Yeah, because on they on had them. been
2: dressing rooms. We
1: have in the in <laughs> like, a a big time. We yeah. live outside of Concord, New Hampshire, which is the capital. Uh, and in the, the actual city of Concord, there is a mall which is like famous for being one of the deadest malls in the country. Like it is a dead mall. Like it's there's
2: a lot, of, a lot of available space. You
1: literally go in and there's like four stores open in this huge mall, but. That being said, what an awesome vaccine site. There's plenty of parking. It's parking. handicapped accessible. Yep. Sears, like you were in like, remember you were in the line. You were telling me you were snaking through the old boys wear section.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was somewhere between... Housewares and boys, <laughs> the boys' clothing section. I know this because I asked specifically. I said, wasn't this the men's section? They said, it was actually boys. And yes. housewares was there. It wasn't
1: that. where the Land's End things were, yeah. the high-end part of Sears?
2: Yeah. well the not get out tools of my car. Were.
1: Oh, you got it in your car. Like it's
3: Sonic? So I
4: guess the left arm, it was at yeah. a bus station, National Guard.
3: Oh, where was your site? Was it in Dover? Or was yeah, it was it out- in Dover. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Everybody's in
4: such a good mood, man. All the National Guard guys were like yeah. super cool. And yeah. The people who are giving the shots. I mean, every it's just, I, I think everybody was just feeling like relieved.
1: Let's just take a step back. And talk about how post-apocalyptic this conversation all
0: oh, yeah,
4: No, 100%. It you, is like we're getting inoculated from being zombies. You, you stood in a line
1: in an abandoned mall. You were inoculated by a National Guardsman in your car. You have gotten a shot so you can volunteer to get... This is the most Handmaid's Tale shit since the beginning of the pandemic. And we were all telling each other, Ooh, there are oranges at Colonial Village today. Yeah. You should go right. down right.
2: I got three rolls of toilet paper. <laughs>
1: anyway. (laughs) Well, I look forward to also being inoculated In the meantime, guys, stay away from me Because I could give you the Rona All right, should we go ahead and uh, start the podcast? Yes All right, let's get it done Leading off
0: A few hours later, Scott says He was awakened by a loud noise Like fireworks And the sound of one of his nieces Crying He couldn't figure out why Tristan wasn't helping her He knew that something must be wrong
1: for two years, someone had been shooting at campers in Malibu Creek State Park. After the spree turns deadly, authorities arrest a drifter for the crimes. But right away, questions emerge whether the evidence actually points to Anthony Rauta.
2: something wrong. This kid didn't do He's crazy. There was so much pressure that they had to arrest somebody. I think they got the crazy guy.
1: New Yorker magazine writer Dana Goodyear begins her own examination of the death of Tristan Baudet and the case against Rauda. She finds problems with the case and trouble among the sheriff's department investigators working in a community where some think the arrest was a convenient way to blame one person for a variety of unrelated crimes.
3: I hate to say this, but, you know, and my, my intuition is almost never wrong, but... I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I mean, this guy looked like a cop to me. The
1: eight-part podcast series Lost Hills from Western Sound and Pushkin Industries offers investigators, families of the victim and suspect, as well as some of Malibu's colorful locals. Goodyear attempts to pull back the curtain on the embattled L.A. County Sheriff's Department and the city's sunshine facade. Spoiler alert, there are three episodes of Lost Hills out, but we're going to be talking about plot points from the first six, so we're not going to spoil it too much. But if you want to remain totally spoiler-free, go to the SD time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Now, Laura Bricker, uh, so listening to this podcast, I have one like prevailing feeling aside from the story that I just wanted to check in with you about. Atmospherically, the music, the soundscape, the descriptions of this part of the world, Malibu, California, I found it like incredibly immersive atmospherically. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I I did like that. I liked that we have this window into Malibu, which obviously is like lifestyles of the rich and famous and a bunch of hippies that are like out homesteading in the hills Oh, and by the way, there's this cougar that's going around and killing. You mean the mountain lion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the hey, baby, mountain lion. baby, you're of
2: CC when you're talking about the cougar.
3: <laughs> Not that cougar. No, no. that The one that was up at the hills. But it was like, and even right down to where Dana finds herself like eating at, I don't know, it was like some like super high-end Health juice food bar. food store, yeah. And the guy is going on and on and on. But it gave you, I, I think, this window into... What it's like to live there hmm. and the energy and just the culture of where this is happening. And I thought that was fascinating.
1: Yeah, Kevin, I will say, and I just want to put this comment in for myself before I ask you a question. Like, I think the sound design, the music choices, and the soundscape here is perfect. It's so atmospheric. I like. It is one of the best music plus story combos I've heard in a very long time. It's like beautifully and lush, right? Do you find it lush like I do?
2: I do. In some places, I find it a little heavy handed (laughs) on the tech side, but yeah, I mean, a lot of thought is put into that. What
1: do you think about the podcast just in terms of like the structure of it? Because we should mention like it's not a quick moving story.
2: No, it is kind of deliberate, I guess I'd say. And I do question some of the choices, although I like it very much. You know, the idea about, okay, we have this case. It's it's not adjudicated yet. So as far as the mystery of who the killer is, in the end, I don't know if we're actually going to get there. So I'm a little worried about endings. You know, I'm always worried about how these things end but I'm, i am kind of enjoying the investigation and i think it's a legitimate question that if your suspect rauda was um, arrested with a, a rifle and all of these sniper atten- all these you know shooting, shooting cars are, are with a uh, birdshot from a shotgun Maybe there is something to the idea that he's being lumped in with some other crimes. It still doesn't mean that maybe he didn't kill Tristan Baudet, but I think there's certainly enough raw material here to kind of get your hands in and uh, see what you can come up with.
1: Yeah. So Debbie, there's one sort of big storytelling question here for me. Dana Goodyear is a writer for The New Yorker, and you know The New Yorker is famous for its sort of like long form investigative pieces that probably took a really long time to do. We get to hear that here. We get to hear what it's like to be a New Yorker writer and do this kind of story. And it feels almost luxurious, like she's able to, like, do things like ride in a helicopter, do things like go camping on the campsite where the murder happened, do things like go to the juice bar and talk to people. How do you feel about that? Like, I know that you're a New Yorker reader and you've probably read about this story before, right? Right.
4: Yeah, well, her story on this ran like maybe two weeks ago from when we're recording. So I I did read it. I didn't realize that we're going to do a podcast about it. So it is kind of interesting. Like, I wouldn't recommend reading it first because the first three episodes maybe kind of feel like a little bit of recapping if you've read the article. But you do hear her doing the interviews that then end up in the article. And it's kind of interesting to see, like, oh, yeah, so that she decided to put that here. She decided to put that there. Uh, The other thing is she's clearly not on some really tight deadline. No kidding. (laughs) She's like all over the place, including just like for no reason that I could discern camping out the campsite next to the one. Where the thing happened, it's like, what what's going to happen here? So I would listen to the podcast. And then if you're still kind of intrigued by the story, read the story. I don't think you're going to learn much more. But it is kind of cool to be like, okay, now you've kind of heard the raw material. How did she kind of throw this together in a slightly different way than they did in the podcast?
1: One of the things that's interesting about Lost Hills, Laura, is that... The sources, like, I can't think of a single source we've heard yet that's reliable. You know, we hear sources that we think are reliable. In the beginning of the podcast, she goes for a helicopter ride with this guy, Tui, a former cop who, you know, helps solve, like, the catching of Anthony Rauda. And he's just, like, candid and cool. And then later, he becomes unreliable for reasons. Uh, we have this kind of primary source at this local gossip, CeCe. Who is this apparently rich lady? I'm just with context clues. She drives a Porsche. She talks about like being a blonde, big boobed character, who also has started like her own local. Uh, she reminds me a little bit of um,
2: as I call her Malibu Bricker,
1: Malibu Nancy West. Maybe is what we we'll call her for those of us in New Hampshire. We know what that means. But it, she she goes from being a journalist to being like a different kind of character. What do you think of just the sourcing? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on Cece in particular,
3: Lar. <laughs> Uh, Cece, I feel like in the beginning, I'm trying to give Cece a chance because she's out there. I am not your little quiet, little mousy girl. I'm a big mouth, big boobed blonde. And that does not work for them. OK. And I'm smart, which is even worse, you know. I mean, she is totally out there and she's like in your face, brash, always talking about her boobs and how great she is and how she's done this and how, like, I always find it a little suspicious when people have to keep telling you about all of their accomplishments and everything they've done, like. All the time. Mm-hmm. Like she does. I like how they're like, she's new to journalism. I'm like, new to journalism. Basically, I don't think she really had any journalism training, but she just started this <laughs> website and called herself an activist. So that was very she diplomatic. Made, she made a of press Dana. pass and hung it around her own body. And it's just like, I'm press. I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So as I'm listening to this, and then I was like, what the—I'm like, she just goes on and on. And then she forms this very close relationship with the new sheriff, who she takes, like, full credit for getting elected. And I'm like, why is this woman in so much of this podcast? And I feel like it's really not to show us her reporting. It's to show us how dysfunctional the law enforcement situation is out there, that this woman— is taking credit for people getting promoted, people getting fired. They're afraid of her at the sheriff's station. They're like, "Uh uh-oh. So I feel like it was just, when we got to the end, I'm like, that's why she's there, because this is the culture. This is the culture where this investigation is going on. So how can you trust anything that's coming out of that sheriff's department.
2: Well, I think they have her because she's a super colorful character. I mean, I love CeCe Woods. Do you? I I also hate CeCe Woods. Okay, thank you. Because she's not, no, she's not a serious journalist, no. Uh, And she's, you know, she's consumed with putting people on blast and determining who the dirty cops are by literally reading tea leaves.
1: (laughs) 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 I'm sure that was Toby's favorite part of the podcast. And then it's simply spelling out proof. So
3: there is going to be proof. You
1: are going to prove some things that are going down, and you have the proof. So, okay, we'll
2: But later on, we hear that like her real interest is proximity to power. As you said, Lara, she's really taken with the fact that she backed the right candidate for sheriff, and so she is the kingmaker, apparently, in her eyes. No. And look, I think she's a hoot, but she's also a bit corrosive. You think? Yeah, I want to talk about this later, but I think part of this podcast has to do a lot with white privilege.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. With you with, mean like all of the podcast?
2: Well, with rich, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna point to you, white women, uh, you rich white women who think that well, I just came back from cosmetic surgery, so I'm an expert now in what police corruption is, <laughs> and it just sort of like oh, you got you know, I give Dane a lot of credit for just kind of like stepping back and let CC be CC, And
1: not saying it, letting us, like, Yes, yeah.
2: Yes, I think she's corrosive, but I'm also really intrigued with her, and I think in the movie version, Sharon Stone should play her oh, for that laughs. Good.
1: That would be a very, very yeah. good casting. Now, Kevin, just a Thank quick- Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Quick follow-up. Uh, yeah. The helicopter interview was pretty fucking great, right? Oh, my
2: God. It's the ultimate root talk, folks. (laughs) How can you get more root talk than a helicopter ride over the crime scene? I've never heard that one before. Bravo.
1: Now, Toby, there's something that we've talked about a lot in um, our recent reviews, and it's something that I feel strongly about. I don't know how you feel about it, is there does seem to be this reflex right now in true crime podcasting of this fear of not centering the victim. Like... There's going to be criticism about not centering the victim, so the victim becomes then like over-centered. I mean, Chris Baudet and his—I mean, his wife tells his story. He's an interesting guy. He's certainly not like uninteresting. That there's a you know an interesting victim here, but there was a lot of the Baudet story in here. What did you think about how that was handled in the podcast?
4: I think that's a tough. It's a tough thing, right? Is finding the balance between like losing the victim and. Just spending more time on the victim than maybe is is good for the, the show. So, you know, I think part of it was that that was kind of to get his wife to be involved. It sounded like this was one of the things that she wanted to get out there was, like, my husband was not just, like, a, a murder victim. He was all these other things. But, you know, you do hear quite a bit about it, mm. you know? and I And I kind of felt... For the whole pacing for the first three episodes, the pacing wasn't quite there for me. Mm. And, and that was like an aspect of it was that we spent a lot of time on that. And I was just kind of wondering, it's like, is this going somewhere? Or are we just kind of going to hear a story about, you know, what a nice guy this guy was and, and sort of professionally accomplished. And then it really picks up in episode four, I thought. Mm. I thought that was when it kind of like kicked in. And part of it may have been that I'd already read the article. So I kind of knew what was going on in the first three episodes.
1: Right. So what you're saying is for our listeners who've only heard the first three that are out, and maybe they don't like yeah, it yet. Like, yeah, just stick
4: around until Wednesday. 100% keep going, because it, <laughs> it gets really, really good, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a tough one, man, because I, I absolutely understand the instinct, and I think it's, it's appealing to the better instincts that you have on that kind of thing but you know it does it does sometimes just kind of the reality of it is that it drags
1: so i'll i'll tell you my take and then laura i'd love to hear yours because you're also a true crime writer you know there is always an aspect of telling the victim's story that's important in almost every crime story because if nothing else it just sort of points out either the randomness or the tragedy or like the horror of a crime but there is also uh, sometimes where it's not the victim's story. It's the story that is about the circumstances or the corruption or the, you know, wrongful conviction or the investigation. Like there's a lot of other things it could be. It does feel sometimes to me, though, like some of these stories come to a screeching halt because reporters feel obligated and it may be like a deal they make for access. Who knows? And I think it's a very interesting story. But for me, it, it was a pacing issue. What did you think about it, Laura?
3: I would agree with that. Um, it was OK in the beginning because I think we were kind of getting the scene. But I was it I don't remember which episode we started going way into the background. Yeah. And high school, college. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like the episode prior to that, like the investigation was picking up and Dana was like talking to all these people and she was trying to figure out what was going on. And I was really getting interested in where this investigation was going. And then that came to like a screeching halt and we had more background. And I felt like for me for the flow of the story, I don't feel like that's where I wanted to hear that background because then I was acti- like anticipating that whole episode was going to be background and then all of a sudden we were back to the investigation. So, it just for me didn't fit at that place in the story.
4: Yeah, I think the other thing about it is that because it was so random, like you don't really get any insight into anything by knowing more about him right. as far as the crime goes. So, it's 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 not
2: like their lives intersected for some reason. If Dana has an Achilles heel, it's the fact, and she admits it, this is her first murder investigation. And there are some of those things, like the whole idea of, it's my first murder, and I've become obsessed with that. I'm afraid of the killer. And, you know, he mentioned my hometown in a letter, so now I'm afraid. That whole thing, that's so cliche now. It's been played out. It's 2021. The idea that, oh, no, this is a horror story. And that's where we get to the camping thing. Yeah. I mean, what does this tell the story? She I, did
1: get a good interview there, though. She did. <laughs>
2: I got to say. Right, right. But then, but and And that interview is great. But then we come to this little scene, this performative scene, where she's talking about being alone in her tent and thinking somebody is coming up outside of her tent.
0: I'm sure I feel something brush up against my tent, the thin wall of my tent. I'm sure I hear footsteps approach. And then recede.
2: And then, with the production value of sort of like letting the music go and the weird sound effects, we're supposed to be led to believe that maybe somebody is.
1: Can I ask you a question? A technical question?
2: If we think the guy did it, is in jail? Is there still stuff? I don't know.
1: Can I ask you a technical question? Go for it. So, the sound in this podcast is, by the way, fucking excellent the field interviews are uh-huh. excellent she's talking to those people in the campground like they're in a studio it is intimate so if she's I'm, doing this on
2: her own she's great not, for Oh, okay i'm
1: here well, i don't think so i'm hearing like boom mic or shotgun mic it, situation it's,
2: it's high quality right whether it's so herself or not and this is
1: a guest dana but dana goodyear is a print reporter so i'm guessing yeah. she has a producer
2: yeah probably
1: was she sleeping in her tent with her producer <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't no, know. No, and I'm not
1: saying like it wasn't... It's, it's, it's not like... I'm, not I'm not, lusty, I'm not yeah, intimating yeah. scandal. <laughs> but when you talk about performative, like that's what I'm talking about. Like if you go... And I'm by the way, Dana Goodyear, I fucking love you and I love your work. And I don't think you listen to this podcast, but you do. This isn't a knock on you personally, but this is like a genre thing where... You listen to enough true crime podcasts. We've listened to like basically every single one. You know how it's made and you know that like she's not alone in her tent when she's hearing that like she's with somebody. She
2: survived. (laughs) I'm just going to say whoever, whoever gave her that note that this ought to be part of the storytelling was wrong.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't do that either. So uh, Laura Bricker, let's just talk about sort of like the luck factor here, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen at this point. And we don't know if this is about breaking the case. And we don't know if it's about learning more. We don't know if it's about corruption. So what do you think about that? Because here we have a writer who is obviously really talented and she's in this investigation. But we now as reviewers, I don't mind spoiling this part of listen to six episodes of this podcast. I'm still not 100 percent sure what it's about. What do you think just sort of about that whole thing
3: Well, I think I kind of have a sense, I mean, my, my takeaway so far is that it's about this shooting investigation, which I still am not totally sure who is to be held responsible for that. Like, I'm not sure I believe that Anthony Rauta is actually the shooter, but it's also just about this bizarre culture in Malibu and how that contributed to the shooting investigation. But I think one of the things I'm now coming to is like, I really want like Kevin was saying, a satisfying ending. Yeah. And I'm not sure we're gonna be able to get that at this point, unless there's like a pain limsy moment. Like, what was the one where all of a sudden, was that up and vanished? It may have. What are you reading? Really don't you remember when like he was doing the podcast and then in the middle, like they arrested the killer and it was like, yeah, but oh. it wasn't, yeah. It was kind of after the it podcast after, yeah, wrapped up, yeah, yeah. but, but, but in any it was then. still yeah, your like, point but taken. I'm saying like luck. Like, I'm like, unless there's like some lucky break. I don't know about you guys, but I just, I really don't feel totally confident that we know, like, I feel like there's more of a mystery and I just really hope that we're going to get some more answers instead of more juice bar.
1: (laughs) Now, Toby, there are two big mystery threads here. One is potential corruption within the sheriff's department or just inaction because these are rich people and they just are who they are. And she sort of touches on the fact that the previous sheriff, he'd been written up for making $400,000 and there was some corruption. But then we also have Rauta himself, who Dana corresponds with. And he is, to me, like a quintessentially American character, disillusioned, went into the military, mental illness, like has a personality that just doesn't fit into the like American cycle of what you're supposed to be. To me, those are very important threads. What do you think?
4: Yeah, and I think Rauda, especially the fact that he's around Malibu, right, which has this sort of... I don't really know much about Malibu other than it has an aura. There's like Malibu Barbie. And, you know, I think there's this idea <laughs> that it's like Even homeless this...
1: people get to participate in the aura, apparently.
4: I mean, I think part of what's interesting is you've got Rauda who can't function in society or he doesn't want to function in society. He doesn't find anything he likes in it. I did not want to work and could not adjust to a stable life. So I decided to be homeless. I spend many days and nights on beaches, mountains, etc you know, we don't really have a way of dealing with that very well. And in this case, he goes to Malibu, and and he may have done this stuff. He may not have done this stuff. But just by being sort of a homeless guy living in the woods and and like having to kind of get by through breaking into stuff or whatever, there's no way for him to be sort of absorbed into that community. I mean, there's there's no way that's going to work. So I think, you know, even if there's not – like this neat conclusion where it's like, oh, yeah, well, actually, I did kill those people or, or did the shootings, or they find somebody else who did it. It's just like the, kind of the contrast yeah. of, of like these two different, you know, streams of America intersecting. And whether that it, the intersection was violent, or whether it was just a a big misunderstanding. I mean, to me, that's kind of the sort of I don't know, profundity is the right word, but, it's the it, but meat. it does.
1: It's the meat of the story. I think. I think so too.
4: It does have a lot of symbolic heft.
1: Don't you hear? I mean, you, we hear his letters, obviously read by an actor. We hear like his dad, Ozzy, but like it's like pretty obvious, like a very typical thing that strikes a person in their late teens or early twenties, especially young men. It sounds like a lot of mental illness, and you know the kind of mental illness that's so particularly difficult that it's like hey you know what you should do you should just join the army because it will just solve your, your your problems with society or whatever and there is this weird track and kevin and i uh, did write one book about somebody who may fit in this category it's this weird track of like i don't like this i don't like this i don't like this but i'm smart people like me so there must be a path but that doesn't actually fix the problem. You know what I
0: mean, right. Toby?
4: Well, that's—I mean, Into the Wild by yes, John Krakauer it, exactly is kind that. of like the classic example of that. And even in that, he talks about different examples of this thing happening. And Rowda seems like a, a particularly angry version of that. Yeah. But you know, he's made this choice to live live off the grid, and he does not want to. And the other thing it reminded—I don't know if you guys ever watched—the gods must be crazy
2: no yeah long long time it was like ago.
4: A, it's a story about a guy who's got very limited interaction with the modern world and somebody throws a coke bottle out of an airplane and he gets it and like all this stuff happens um but at one point he gets put in jail and it's just like even though it's not for very long you realize this is the worst possible fate like you just can't right. conceive of like being enclosed in a space like it's just beyond his understanding And I kind of felt like with Rauda in those early scenes where he's really kind of freaking out. And then they just heavily sedate him and just literally bind him hand and foot into his chair to keep him under control.
0: Several weeks later, when I see Rauda in court, he's undergone a disturbing transformation. He's strapped to a restraint chair, his face covered by a mesh mask to stop him from spitting at the deputies. His head lolls to one side as if he's under heavy sedation.
1: It's like the Chicago 7 thing, right? Like, it's fucking awful. It's like, he's not Hannibal Lecter. Like, he's obviously ill. I found that very disturbing. So, Kevin, you mentioned earlier the theme of white privilege. And I just want to give you a chance to expand on that. Because, by the way, like, you obviously are very woke in your own way. Mm -hmm. You are not usually the first person in this conversation (laughs) to bring up something like white privilege. So I want to know, what did you hear here, Kevin?
2: I heard a bunch of rich white people going to the juice bar, (laughs) talking about how well nobody in that police station knows what's going on, so they obviously are corrupt. I don't know. I just I just having listened to the past couple of Toby Ball's deep dive book clubs. Oh yeah, and some of the books you know where the authors are of this. Well, I'm going to go out and solve this crime and it's really about me because now I've gotten sucked into all this and woe is me. And look, you know, people from an at-risk community do not have the luxury of gallivanting around a rich town talking about, well, maybe the guy they arrested for this murder didn't do it Mm. because, I don't know, the tea leaves told me something else. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, oh, come on.
3: <laughs> I don't know. And doing your laundry at your fr- $14 million house that belongs to your friend. Because like, it's was- too
1: hot at your house up the hill?
3: Yeah. I was like, oh. Don't they have someone to do their laundry there? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Lost Hills? It's a brand new true crime podcast hosted by Dana Goodyear, a New Yorker writer who I will fully disclose I respect tremendously and made by a couple of production houses that I also respect tremendously. Um, It's a beautifully made podcast, but should our listeners check it out? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Lost Hills?
3: I'm going to go with thumbs up. I think that Dana is a very good storyteller, and there is a really interesting intersection between where this takes place in Malibu, the cast of characters, the culture in Malibu, the law enforcement in Malibu. I mean, and anything that starts off with like this whole anecdote about mountain lions on the run. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I'm not sure if there's going to be a conclusion because um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, you know, the case is ongoing. But I think it's definitely an interesting case. And I enjoy the way that she's bringing into the story a lot of her experiences that she's having while reporting with really colorful characters. Toby Ball, what do you think?
4: After the first three episodes, I was not like wowed. But after that, it just freaking picks up uh, amazingly. I think it's extremely rare that I listen to podcasts after we review it. Like there doesn't ever seem to be time. But I think I will be listening to the rest of this. I'm completely intrigued by the story and the storytelling. Uh, so a a strong, well, I, I say a strong thumbs up, a really strong thumbs up for four through six. Yeah, a sort of less hearty thumbs up for one through three. But just you know, get through it because. The payoff is really good.
2: Kevin Flint. I'm also a thumbs up. I think it moves a little slow, but it does keep going forward. And as we get to sort of the later episodes. There is a momentum that builds. I was really eager to listen to the next episode and, you know, just to kind of binge it. I thought that was good. I I do like Dana Goodyear's reporting, and I am enjoying despising a lot of the people that she's (laughs) run into. Same. So, in any event, I think that it's a really exciting podcast. So, thumbs up.
1: Yeah. So, here's how I feel about this podcast. I don't understand how I feel this way, but I fucking love this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's the way that we talked about the investigation on HBO, where I'm like, I watch a whole hour-long episode. Literally, nothing happens except someone, like, staring into the distance. We learn maybe one thing, but other than that, nothing happens. That's kind of this podcast. Like, not a lot actually gets advanced in each episode. Mm-hmm. It's just like maybe one little layer gets pulled back. But one of the things I really like about it, A, it's just, it's a beautiful listen. Like, that's something like... um I'm sorry, but Kevin, you and I, I'm going to reveal a detail of our personal lives. In order to sleep well at night so our dogs don't bark at deer, we listen to these, like, rainstorm white noise things on our speakers in our house. <laughs> the podcast reminds me of that. Like, it is an addictive listen that kind of pulls you in. But one thing I do really like about it is it does remind me of being a first-time true crime writer years and years ago and just being like, oh, shit, that person's not trustworthy oh, shit, I thought this, but it's that. Like, there's enough of that in there that kind mm-hmm. of pulls me in. And, of course, Dane is really likable. So, yeah, this podcast, if it were less well-made, if it were made by a lesser reporter, if it were more sloppily handled, could be terrible. But the production choices are so great that, you know, I just, I love it. I'm sorry. I'm going to also, like Toby, continue listening to Lost Hills, which I often say I'm going to do, but I don't really do, but I'm really going to do it with this one. Thumbs up for me for Lost Hills. Kevin, here we are in the business section. How does that music go? <laughs> it's really fun, by the way, to mix the music later with how you say that. Sometimes I put it at the first but up at us. Sometimes I put it at the second but up at us. You want to just give it another one?
2: Sure. But up but All
1: right, so we're here in the business section. This is when we talk about stuff that we're doing. We talk about our Patreon, we talk about other stuff. Laura Bricker. I hear that you have a contribution to make to our business section this evening because you are up to a thing. What are you up to, Lara Bricker?
3: I am up to all sorts of things. Um so the Exeter Lit Fest is coming <gasps> up this week. Ooh. And thanks to COVID, any of you out there in Podcast Land can attend. It's better. I think it's better than anybody can attend. Yeah, It's a
2: day in time.
3: So it is a three-day event, the Exeter Lit Fest. We've got a lot of writers that um, grew up in Exeter, live in Exeter. It begins on Thursday, April 1st, and I will be leading the kickoff event, which is our featured guest, Victoria Arlen. She's a Paralympic swimmer. She was on Dancing with the Stars, um, mm. current ESPN commentator, and she's got this really amazing story. She's, she's from Exeter. And when she was 11, she developed these two rare conditions that doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. She was basically in like a vegetative state for four years and came out of that, was told you'll never do this, you'll never do that. Anyway, she learned how to walk again, even though she cannot feel from the waist down. It's amazing. Mm. And went on Dancing with the Stars. So I will be interviewing her on Thursday night. She wrote a book about her experience. And on Friday night, April 2nd, I'm rehashing an old favorite True crime, fact versus fiction. Nice Ooh. from our Ooh, library. Toby just sat up. Toby loves it. <laughs> That's was our library tour days. So yeah, we uh did that. Myself and another local author will be talk. I'll be talking true crime. She'll be talking fictional crime on Friday night, and that's going to be like a cocktail party. Isn't that how like Kevin met you guys? Toby and
2: I got cut out of that one. Okay,
1: I'm just saying
3: this is how our podcast started was because Kevin, you were on one of those things with Laura and Toby, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But there was no cocktails at that one. Now this one. It's come in on Zoom and it's like when we do our crowdcastings, they'll pop people in and out into the video if you want to ask questions. So they're encouraging people to like mix up a drink, come to the party on Friday night.
2: So, Laura, is there a website people should go to in order to take part?
3: Well, actually, if you just look up Exeter Lit Fest on Facebook and make sure it is the Exeter U.S. Lit Fest, because I just got... (laughs) No, literally, I just... It's so funny. Last night, I'm like going to sleep, I got a message on that page from the woman who's running the Exeter... England Lit Fest, nice.
2: <laughs> A very threatening message.
3: I would like to get invited to the
1: Exeter England one. Just saying I that know. would be really fun. Yeah. So Toby, do you feel left out like of this thing because you're not there this time? You weren't invited. I'm, I'm used to it. Yeah. Right. What about you, Kevin? Do you feel like you've been left behind by Lara Bricker? I'm hurt. <laughs> you can come to the party, you guys So, Kevin, what else do we have going on our Patreon right now?
2: On our Patreon, we have the CWO After Show And tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about March Madness Yes Toby Ball is going to talk about the sports ball He's
1: going to explain it to us
2: Yeah, and then we're going to tell him a little bit about a TV show that we've gotten into I've got to say Sci-fi Do you remember
1: when we used to make Toby listen to our recaps of Game of Thrones and just yes. react? So we're gonna do that, except with basketball. Okay. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> we also have right now in your feed the latest edition of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, where Toby and his guests try not to say bad things about a book that they all said that they liked. <laughs> Toby, tell us about um, "We Keep the Dead Close." Yeah, so "We Keep the Dead Close" is
4: actually it's it's funny. Every once in a while, this happens where it'll be a book that we all we all basically like, and then we just kind of pick on the things that we thought were problematic about it.
1: You mean like we just did with the podcast? We just yeah, it's kind of where we we shit on it for twenty minutes and then all give it a thumbs up. If
2: you've listened to the podcast, you know at the end Toby goes, "Okay, so do we give it a thumbs up or thumbs down?"
4: (laughs) Yeah, that's actually I think that might have been the first time we did it on the on the deep dive because usually there's sort of a like you know, but this time it was like uh. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you keep saying how much you like it, and then you. Anyway, so it's uh, it's it's Amber Hunt and yes. uh, Alex Segura and Deb Schutica, who's at GMU, who's actually also a mystery writer, and she and Alex knew each other from mystery conventions before. Amazing! And they're like, "Oh, hi!" You know, like, "How do you guys know each other?" Um, so anyway, it was a, it was a fun conversation. It's actually. It's a good book. Like, I I actually really enjoyed it, but there's, you know, Kevin was kind of referencing some of the stuff earlier about, you know, the author kind of becoming part of the story in a way that doesn't always work.
2: So check it out. Also, we're going to have a new edition this week of Married with Podcast. Nice. And very soon, I know we're going to get a new episode of Leave it to Bricker, where Lara and Ken are going to talk a little bit about what's going on at that vaccine clinic. Is there love and sex and corruption, or is it just fun stuff, Lara?
3: Um, It's basically the only way I can see my husband, so it's kind of like going on a date with him now. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So it's kind of, you know, I guess maybe it is. I'm like, ooh, Fireman Ken in uniform.
2: (laughs) I love going on a date with my wife where at the end I might get a shot.
1: Listen, (laughs) Lara Bricker is next. She's going to fucking 100% become a firefighter. So Ken can be like, all right, honey that window is about to explode just go up there and check do that all right so kevin uh before we end the business section we have to ask do we have any patreon patron saints of the week this week
2: no (laughs) Uh, oh i'm wrong our patreon patron saints are elizabeth burns and bridget keener
1: so kevin why Wait,
2: wait wait bless you
1: sorry so kevin why should people support us on patreon why Give your sales pitch right now.
2: Okay, because you can get nearly two hundred exclusive podcast episodes that you can't get anywhere else. Plus you get inside stuff on contests that we sometimes run yep. and you can also you maybe know get a
1: phone call once in a while.
2: Maybe get a phone call once in a while. Patreon is where it's at, baby.
1: How do people get to our Patreon?
2: You go to Patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: And thus ends the business. The business <laughs> Moving on.
4: The front door means getting in on your own. The back door is making a donation, which is 10 times as much money. I've created this kind of side door in because with the back door, there's no guarantee. They're just going to give you a second look.
1: Wealthy parents whose kids could not get into the elite school of their choice turned to Rick Singer for the right price, the college prep tutor would use test takers, Photoshop, and large sums of money to get them admitted as fake collegiate athletes to low-profile sports programs at high-prestige universities.
2: It seems as if Singer targeted sports that were under the radar because the margins are tighter. He knew the right places to look.
1: When the FBI laid its own trap, it captured financiers, business titans, and three Hollywood actors. The arrest sparked an outcry from the public, indignant that the ultra-wealthy would bribe their way into colleges at the expense of hardworking students shut out from admission.
0: 33 parents have been charged, including Hollywood stars Lori Laughlin.
1: Authorities arrest Felicity Huffman at her Hollywood Hills home.
0: They had guns drawn and everything.
4: Raids on the homes of the rich. Every
2: single one of these parents should be in jail.
1: Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal from Netflix, is part true crime documentary and part dramatic recreation. It features actor Matthew Modine playing singer alongside interviews from the real-life investigators and participants. The film shines a light on a crime in which the privileged use their money to game a system that's already rigged to work against the average 18-year-old kid And pretty much everyone else. Now we are going to be talking about plot points for Operation Varsity Blue. So to remain completely spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear a thumbs up or thumbs down review. So I don't know who to throw this to. Fucking rich people. Am I right? Like Toby, (laughs) I remember when the story broke. I was at work. I was in the middle of the college admissions process with my son. We were having all these conversations about fancy colleges versus affordable colleges. He's a high achiever, but it was a whole fucking thing. The story broke and I was like, God damn it, fucking rich people. Right or wrong, Toby, shouldn't we hate them?
4: Yes. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> uh
4: yeah. No, it's just Yeah. It's just another in like a zillion ways in which our fucking country is set up for rich people to cheat the system.
1: You mean like one of every way. So this is a very unusual documentary, Kevin, because of I'm sure COVID and other factors like it was made differently than other things we made. But they have transcripts of FBI tapes. Right. So instead of just like doing cards with what happened, they actually hired an actor, a known actor, Matthew Modine. To play the guy and other actors, playing yeah, a lot of other marks, actors, yeah, uh, basically recreating phone calls. So it sort of ends up being a documentary that's also sort of a scripted thing, except the scripts are all real conversations.
3: To be honest, I, I'm not
4: worried about the moral issue here. I mean, I'm worried about the. She gets caught doing that, you know, she's finished. So I, I, I just. Uh, it's never happened before in 20 some odd years. The only thing that can happen is if she. Someone talks.
2: Yeah, if she tells somebody.
1: This is a for weird format. What'd you think about it? Yeah, we
2: saw this in Wormwood. Do you remember that with Peter I Sarsgaard do. on HBO? This shouldn't work, but for me, it kind of does. Maybe it's because you know, going into it, that the dialogue is all from transcripts. It's real, yeah. So it's not embellished. And the action that is happening is pretty low-key. It's him talking to different people, driving around in a car, Meeting with people, it's not like you know he's swashbuckling, and you we're not know,
1: watching him murder people. Yeah,
2: I mean it's 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 within the uh, the realm of believability that this could be what it is. But then you know the interviews you've got with the other folks are are pretty good. I mean they're standard, but it's put together pretty well.
1: Laura, what did you think of the format for this? It's very different than a lot of other things we've watched.
3: Yeah, so I didn't know this was a format when I started watching it. I I knew nothing about this. I sat down, I turned it on, and I was like, huh is this a documentary or are these like the first time? It takes so I, a minute, doesn't it? Yeah. So I see the people the reenacting, but then there's people sitting down talking about Rick Singer. And I'm like, are these actors recreating real people? And then I was like, oh no, wait a minute. Okay. So there was definitely this little period where I, I didn't, cause I had no idea going in what this was about um, in terms of how it was structured, but it did work once it got going And I think that that was a good way to kind of bring some of these characters to life because when this broke, like Rebecca, I remember when this broke, everybody, I mean, it was just like maddening. But I mean, I fixated on like Lori Laughlin, Felicity Huffman. I didn't know who all these other rich
1: people were. Did you notice that nobody focused on William H. Macy, who's the also very famous actor involved in this that's why but i said but he, he, yes, right?
2: he was he not implicated though
1: yes he was he also did he go to jail he didn't go to no, jail no, but no. he also was toby's in the-
2: right the government did not charge him with I anything. I
1: understand. But he was the dad. Okay. In this, I'm sorry. It's fucked up. I think
3: it's completely well, fucked up. But I, anyway. Anyway, I thought it was very interesting that that one woman's claim to fame was that her family invented Hot Pockets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the heiress to Hot Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so, Toby,
1: this is, I know that you hate recreation. So, I'm curious to what you thought. I found myself watching this. So, full disclosure, I watched it because I interviewed the directors for the Netflix podcast, You Can't Make This Up. I always want to disclose that. And I found myself watching and being like, oh, I don't know how Toby's going to feel about the format. What would you think about it, Toby?
4: I was 100% dreading it. And then it ended up being fine. Um... One is, I'm not like a Matthew Modine stan, but he's fucking awesome in this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he really, really good. I he mean, he makes it with work. That haircut.
1: Honestly, Toby, he's another person I would pick to play you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being real.
4: Got to reverse age him a little bit. Um, and then, you know, one of the things I don't like about recreations is that you get pulled away from what's real, you know? And I think the idea that these people were just reading transcripts kept it so precise.
1: Mm.
4: That that didn't end up being a problem. And it was like the idea of like having to listen to either tape or somebody like reading it or some other way of doing it would have just been absolutely freaking deadly. So I I really didn't mind it. And I thought some of it was, was, was pretty good. And it also shows you like what a good actor is because the difference between him and some of these other actors playing these rich bozos because they just is look pretty like pretty fucking apparent.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: it was like they hired a bunch of recreation actors and an actual actor. Yeah, yeah I saw the same thing. But I actually kinda liked that. Because it was almost No, it was fine. It was it fine. Made it made me feel like the way a pro scammer would be compared to just regular people. Like it sort of it was evocative of that too. There was a hey,
2: it's that guy in the cast. But Who was like it?
1: Who was the hey, it's that guy?
2: It was, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he was. Do you remember our episode of uh, SVU where the guy was the admissions counselor to Hudson? Yes. Eli? That guy.
1: Oh, my God. That's and ironic. Was he on
2: CSI? Or I forget the fuck he was on.
1: So, Lara, we do have one character in this documentary that's a real person who was implicated in the scandal, John Vandemar. He's the Stanford sailing coach. And whether or not he was actually complicit is very much in question, because basically, like, he's part of Singer's network, but uh, like a, like a beginning part. Singer handed him a big check and he just brought it to his bosses and was like, here, we just randomly got this big check for the sailing team and then he says he had no part in getting that student into Stanford.
2: He contacted me almost right away and was like, is there any other way you could support? Her family is pretty wealthy and they would be interested in donating about a million dollars. My athletic director had said that it is something that Stanford could do, but that a million dollars wasn't enough.
1: I kind of believed him, but he was part of this sort of chain of corruption and it was unfortunate. What did you think, Lara?
3: Yeah, I felt really bad for him because... They really, you know, I've worked in education fundraising and the way that they were explaining how certain sports, you know, I mean, God, I was on like equestrian team, like they never got money from anybody that oh, was like Oh, let's talk a, about that. Were you daughter.
1: actually on the equestrian team or did your parents end in a photo of you on a fake horse
3: like you are on the equestrian Back team? Back
2: then they'd have to cut out the head and airbrush <laughs> I it. I was and they-
3: actually on the equestrian team because that's what my actual major was, but um, yeah, but I was thinking like about those those lesser known sports or clubs and I remember, you know, when you got somebody that was going to donate to one of those, it was it was like, oh, you've got to cultivate this person. That was totally accurate the way they described that. Like some of those programs were funded year to year just because of donations from the big donors. Dude,
2: the high Pockets lady likes water polo. She
3: likes horses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she likes horses jumping over things. Yeah. So, but I felt so bad for him. And I think just the fact that he goes and he like pleads guilty right off the bat and like he gets right up. Front, I mean- it was just kind of heartbreaking. Um, and he was also going on what his higher-ups were telling him. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, we know that guy. So I can see how it happened to him. And I and I felt bad. I felt bad, too. But part of me was
1: also like, his profession is sailing, so he's probably going to be fine. Part of me was like that. I'm going to be honest about that. So, um, Toby, there's one like really great thread throughout this, which is that especially with one parent in particular, I think it's the rich wine guy. The bigger concern is, am I gonna get caught, not what we're doing? like did you feel that too?
4: uh yeah, <laughs> I mean it's I mean that's that seems to be one of the running themes is that it doesn't seem like there's any moral compunction whatsoever. like you don't hear them thinking about it in the slightest. It's just. It's another way where I can leverage my money to get some advantage for my kid. And in the case of like Lori Loughlin, her kid has no freaking interest in going to college. And like, but
1: doesn't does need it because her parents have a billion dollars. Like why does and she's she? She's an
2: influencer. She's already got. it. Why does oh. she
1: need? Why do any of? I mean, is it wrong to
2: hate on a
1: child? No, not in this okay. Case.
2: Right. But
1: but also, she is the product of her parents, so maybe it is wrong. But. Toby, like, do these kids even, like, need college? Like, that's a real question, right? Well,
4: I mean, I think there's, I, I mean, yes and no. I mean, they, they don't need it to live lives of luxury. But just because you're rich doesn't necessarily mean that you should be denied the possibility of getting an education. Right. But in that case, just fucking apply to a college you can get into, yeah. you know? You know, you wonder, like, what about those kids who didn't get in? But then you, like, see that... that that these spots are being taken up in like sailing and fencing and things like that. It's like, well, you know, there's probably not a lot of kids who are like working three jobs and, and are sort of, you know, it, it's not it's it's not a way of escaping from poverty or something. It's, there's not like a whole lot of sailors who are going to go to Stanford for that. So I think it was just probably another rich kid who got kind of screwed out of it. But it's whatever. To so a certain extent, I'm like, do rich people even know? that there are rules, you know? Is that is that like morality even a part of the conversation? And that was, when there was a book called The the Psychopath CEO or something. The CEO is a sociopath, do right, you remember yeah. that? Yep, yeah. It kind of feels like that. It's like, we well, you've got that kind of money. It's like the morality thing. It just kind of goes out the
1: window. So Kevin, one of the things that we see in this documentary that we heard in the news coverage of it that I find really fascinating is that a lot of these kids grew up in tremendous privilege. So, you know, they're sort of used to things just kind of, coming into place for them. Their parents facilitate this for them, and very often the kids were not aware of what their parents
2: were doing. In some cases, yeah. Oh, no,
1: we hear this again, and I read the coverage. In some cases. A lot of these kids really did believe they were taking the ACT or SAT, like in a cloistered setting for some actual reason. So... Is this about the parents giving their kids opportunities or is it about the parents being able to talk about where their kids are going to college when they go to parties? It's
2: probably both.
1: I think it's the second one. It's
2: Going to college is sort of one of those things that... Kids work at very hard and parents also work at for them. It's like one of the few things oh, we know. that the whole family the three kids their in their different ways, whether it's taking a second job to pay for it or doing extra homework, starting t- a
1: podcast,
2: whatever it is. So there's a lot. But <laughs> there's a lot writing on it. And it's, it is one of the things that can change the trajectory of your life. And. That's just the fact it doesn't mean like if you don't get into your college of your choice that you're going to go hungry. But it did make me sad to watch vlogs of kids finding out that they didn't get into their college, although it's not a zero sum game. It's not like the kid we saw didn't get in because that sailing spot you know was taken by somebody else. But we ought to be indignant about it because a lot of us are saving up or we're putting kids through school or whatever, or we wanted opportunities. And the fact that, you know, the privilege in this episode is off the charts.
1: Can I just ask you like a quick follow up? Of course. Should we be angry about working so hard for those opportunities or should we be angry about that those opportunities seem so important? Because as this documentary points out, there are thousands of colleges that are fucking awesome mm-hmm. that no one is cheating to get into that right. are a great fit. We have a couple of kids at colleges that are great fits for them that aren't like colleges that are on this list.
2: Right, right. Well, you know, it's one of the things in the economy that like doesn't work like the rest of the economy because yeah. first of all, you know, the the price of college is never going to go down.
1: It's fucking ridiculous. It
2: just it's never going to like be a correction and now the price is this. And it's because a certain school suddenly becomes prestigious and that drives it up. And so the idea that the diploma there is worth something else there. Now, in some cases, it is, it is because I think a lot of these shitty true crime books that come out are because somebody went to the Columbia MFA and they knew somebody. And so they're going to write their little diary about how they got so taken in by this case that uh, went on in Idaho. Uh-oh. <laughs> Who are you yeah, dissing here? I don't man? know. Just, just Toby knows what I'm talking about on the deep dive. He's riffing. I'm riffing, babe. But it's 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 just really unfortunate because we're talking about how these rich people kicked in a side door yeah. that's not available to the rest of us. But the front door that the college is set up
1: oh, it's fucked is up.
2: not available to it's, a great majority of us it's, either.
1: It's so fucked up. Yeah. Whatever. It's crazy. Laura, the one thing that's very interesting to me about this documentary is that it didn't focus on Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. And that was the huge news story, right? Mm-hmm. That these celebrities were caught up in this. We hear about the wine guy. We hear about the money guy. What do you think of hearing about all these rich people that we've never heard of before?
3: I liked that because I think it's sort of, for me anyway, because obviously all the news coverage that we've seen here in New England, um, I can't count the number of times I've seen Lori Loughlin walking in. You know, it's like, oh, here she is again. So I think seeing who all these other people were and hearing how they made their money or what they did for work and then hearing the recreated conversations based on the transcripts from the taped phone lines, I think it really gave... This window into this world of the wealthy and what's going on behind the scenes that gave you a sense of just how widespread it is. And how just, I'm not saying that everybody that's wealthy is entitled like this, but it definitely showed among the people that we saw and heard from that there was just this sense of entitlement and I'm going to get what I want and pay for it and it doesn't matter. That was really off the charts,
1: Laura. You are you worried about being off-putting to our large swath of ultra wealthy listeners right now? (laughs) Yes, yes, I am.
3: No, I'm just saying, like, I don't want to like put like say like, oh, everybody that's wealthy is
1: like a listen. I'm sure there's a couple that are fucking awesome, but I do have another question for you. They've joined us on Patreon. (laughs) I well, by the way, there's a hundred dollar a month level that they could join. Mm -hmm. Um, they could name the studio after them, Um, Laura. But one (laughs) question about
4: side doors. What do you think about the
1: fact that Rick Singer immediately flipped when confronted with the FBI and did these performative phone calls where he like acted out the things he would say to parents? Like, he flipped on fucking
3: everybody immediately. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that guy just wants to achieve and be recognized for his achievements. And he's obviously going to save his own ass. Like, there's no loyalty there. But it's like, when he's getting the people into college, it's like, I'm the best. I can do this. I can do that. Now, oh, I'm working for the FBI. I can get you everybody. I can do yeah. this. I can come in the side door. I'm so smart. I'm so shifty and whatever. And it's like there's just something in his personality that regardless of which side he's playing, he's going to give it his all because he likes that recognition and that validation. But, I mean, it was pretty quick. And I'm, I'm curious. Obviously, he hasn't been sentenced yet how nope. that's going to play out because – I I don't know. His whole character just kind of killed me because it's like you you have him like going around in these like sloppy sweatsuit running tracksuits all the time. And I'm like, it's just like his whole persona was so bizarre. And then you have that lady. Oh, the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend, and and she like just looks like she's like on like the happiest lark throughout this whole thing. Like she doesn't seem like concerned at all. She's like fondly remembering him. She's oh, like Cece. It's I was just about to say, Rick. That
4: she she can get together with Cece at yeah. the end. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> But I was
1: like, gee, she doesn't seem concerned about any of this. <laughs> Toby, what do you think Rick Singer's motivation is here?
4: Uh, I wish I knew. They yeah. don't they don't hazard much of a guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, he just doesn't seem to have much of a moral compass. I think he was trying to make some cash and thought that was one way he could do it. But I don't know. I mean, it really is. Other than her, you don't get any insight into him whatsoever. Yep. Other than a few people being like, "Well, he was just, you know, he was all business. He didn't really joke around very much." So I don't. That was kind of a gaping hole. In this, mm. I think, is that you yeah. just—if it's really based around this guy and you have no fucking sense of him at all at the end—that seems like a
1: problem. Kevin, what do you think? What was his motivation here?
2: Um, you know, he was a basketball coach, so maybe there's some of the competitive stuff in it. If it was for the money, it's weird because he, other than like the cars, he didn't really he had a like nice house. He had a nice house, but like he wasn't spending money like hand over fist yeah. on on crazy posh he things, had a jet. He never, yeah, you know, it just seemed, I don't know. I mean, I think he just felt like, yeah, he could do this. And so he did it.
1: All right. So I have two um, lightning round questions for you guys about this documentary. Are any of you tempted to see if you could beat an 11th grader on the SAT and ACT after watching that guy mm. take that test and just crushing it? Lara Bricker? Could you beat an 11th grader on the ACT or SAT? Yes or no? Absolutely not. Toby Ball, could you beat an 11th grader on the ACT or SAT, yes, yes or no?
4: Uh, I think the
2: math would be fucking brutal. Yeah,
1: that's,
3: that's what or, we like. verbal
1: me. but not math? Kevin <laughs> Flynn, what about you?
2: Yeah, not even close. Not even close. Yeah, I, I might do worse than I did when I was in, was in 11th grade. I don't think
1: I could do it either except for maybe, maybe some of the verbal section. Another second lightning round question. Uh, Olivia Jade, her fault or her parents' fault? <laughs> I don't want to like malign a kid. That being said. Fault for what? This is the an admissions thing. This is the one example where the parents kid fault. almost seems like a reflection of her parents. And I wonder, like, do we feel bad for her or do we feel bad for the other kids? Like, is there a, like a, a point there where it, the line is too fuzzy or is it just adults? Kevin,
2: I'm going to say call her not sympathetic. Mm-hmm. How's that? Uh, and as far as like whose fault the admissions thing, it's her parents.
1: Yeah. So tell you about kids or parents. Uh, who do you side on here after seeing all the Olivia Jade video?
4: Uh, yeah, I think it's just like, all right, I'll go. I mean, I, 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 don't think, I don't think she was behind, Yeah, like, mom, you got to get me into USC by any means possible. So, right. yeah.
1: I will say, though, it's a bad look when the news breaks to be on the yacht of the school provost when you get the news. Jeez. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Uh, I mean, Olivia Jade really is the only kid we see in this thing. So she's not maybe the best example, but... Where do you sort of land on the kids versus parents? Like, should we be vilifying Olivia Jade, I guess, is my question.
3: So overall, I would say, obviously, the parents in all of this seem to be the common denominator here. And I, you know, I don't feel like the kids are to blame. But I feel like Kevin said, she's very unsympathetic. And there was that one, like vlog of her. There's an Olivia Jade video where it's the first day of her senior year of
0: high school and uh, she's pretty miserable. I've gone to one class and I already want to die. It's so hot in every single room. I just want to go home. Then she returns home and she says, I've never been so happy. So happy to be anywhere in my whole entire life.
1: Shut up. The only thing I was thinking is, Her dad has this fashion line where he's like a jillionaire because of Target, right? He's at a mass market thing, but he's also a fashion designer. Like they are billionaire families. If this is what she wanted to do, she did not need to go to college do it. She didn't. I do think the parents want to be able to go to parties and talk about their kids being at USC. That's what I think. Anyway, let's let our listeners know, should they check out Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission scandal? It's a documentary, but it's a little bit of a hybrid because there's acting in it too from Netflix. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this documentary?
3: Uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. I thought this was really interesting. After watching news coverage of this, it brought to light and gave a much broader picture of the other families that were involved in getting their kids into college, and it was really interesting to kind of hear the backstory of how this all played out, and I loved having the actual recreations of the tapped phone line conversations because there's nothing that I would like love more than to sit around and listen to tap phone lines. So yes. um, yeah, that's totally something I would love. So I thought it was really interesting and it was like only like an hour and a half. So you totally should go watch your it. Your favorite thing, short and delicious.
1: <laughs> Tell me well, what about you, thumbs up or thumbs down for Operation Varsity Blues?
4: Yeah, it's not bad. I kind of feel like it's taking a look at somebody who's got like some horrendous disease and part of that is like they've got a pimple on their face and then you focus all your attention on that pimple because it's the most obvious thing and there's no attempt to like kind of tie it to I mean maybe there's a little bit of one but there's like a huge huge issue about access to college and this is like a very 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 small part of it right I guess it's somewhat of an interesting story but it's a little frustrating that they can't take a step back and be like look this is a fucking 1.00001% of what the real issue is. The real issue is the top colleges are accessible to a very, very small amount of people, regardless of how hard you work or how smart you are or whatever. And that's our education system. You know, I don't know. I got kind of mixed feelings. Like, I guess I would give it a somewhat of a thumbs up in that it's well put together. It certainly was not the nightmare I was fearing. (laughs) Um, But I guess it's just my personal bias, but I'd rather have like a tie-in to like, Sort of the larger issues that go beyond these, like couple hundred kids who got in by a side door. There, there's a lot more profound inequalities in our education system that that
2: I think this could be tied to.
1: So, Toby Ball's a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn, what about you?
2: I'm also a thumbs up. Yeah, I thought this was going to be kind of a weird format. Once I figured out that. You know, the guy from Vision Quest was going to be...
1: Listen, we watched another thing for Netflix that we did not review on this show because it was a weird hybrid format that did not work. But this one did, right?
2: It it did. Yeah, I thought it did. And this was a crime that a lot of people felt like was committed against them, in spirit anyway, you know, the cheating to get in. It just sort of reinforced people's... Belief that the wealthy are greedy in many, many different ways and that they are willing to take whatever they can at your expense. And, you know, while I think some of that in this case is probably on the nose, I got a closer look at the actual crime and at some of the other issues around it, like the ones that Toby and Laura have already, you know, talked about. So, yeah, I'm a thumbs up.
1: Yeah, I like to do them a thumbs up. I will agree with Toby in that it only went so deep. We had a bunch of people saying in the film that there are millions of great colleges out there that are great fit for everyone. All those people worked at fancy colleges, if you looked at their little Chiron, So, like, who are you to say that my kids should go to X when you work at Y? But also, its I mean, it was a very well-timed, I think, news story because it happened during the Trump administration. And, of course, there are very famous stories about the Kushners and the Trumps getting into fancy schools through side doors. So I think this resonated differently with us because of what was going on in the world at the time. But yeah, it's well done. It tells me stuff about the case I didn't know before. And I do like when I go into something thinking I know everything, but I learn new things. So for that reason, Operation Varsity Blues. One complaint, Kevin. They don't have the one line of the documentary should have is I don't want your laugh. Oh, I,
2: James Vanderbilt.
1: Anything with varsity blues should have that line. Anyway, thumbs up for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime of
2: of the Week.
1: The Week. Elizabeth Holmes was charged with crimes after she falsely claimed her company, Theranos, could conduct all sorts of tests on one drop of blood. Now the founders of a San Francisco startup are facing similar charges, but their technology has to do with um, poop. Yeah. Yeah. The husband and wife team behind a $60 million startup, Ubiome, have been indicted for fraud crimes around their fecal matter testing business. After starting as a $100 at-home microbiome test for consumers, they moved into offering, quote, clinical-level testing for patients. This would allow Ubiome to charge insurance companies for a much higher profit. In a development that should be a surprise to no one, the company's gut test capacity ain't worth shit. (laughs) That didn't stop them, though, from allegedly raising millions of dollars from investors duped into believing their tests were more widely accepted among physicians than they actually were. At the risk of oversimplifying the science, this emerging field of medicine identifies patients who have problems with the natural microorganisms working in the gut. Therapies include giving patients samples from healthy donors ooh, to interacting with their own. It's kind of neat if you can get over taking an oral sample of someone else's poop particle. so panel, here's my question for you. Perhaps you I hope biome it comes in
2: strawberry flavor.
1: perhaps you biome could have taken a cue from Theranos and set up kiosks in Walgreens across the country. Oh, man. But they would need a good name. What could they call
3: it? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, well, I've got a name and I've got a slogan. Uh, All right. The name is going to be Dung Delight. Oh. <laughs> From someone else's bum to your tongue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Laura really thought about this one. Tori Bob, what do you think? How are you going to follow that up? I'm not. <laughs> so I'm
2: not going <laughs> to bother.
1: <laughs> Kevin, what do you think?
2: I'd call it the uh, crapper tapper. <laughs>
1: nice. Nice. Well, we should definitely fucking end on that note. Yeah. Before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week?
3: We do have a cat of the week. His name is Edgar, and Edgar belongs to Rachel Hall. Edgar is 13 years old and loves to take a ride around in his stroller that came with him when we adopted him last year. He's a neighborhood- This is a theme. We keep getting this, animals and strollers. Oh my God, it's awesome. So Edgar is a neighborhood favorite with his loud meow and markings that look like a goatee on his face. Yeah, I sent it. And I am, you know, I love these these cats and strollers. So I've been trying to teach Rocky Flintstone to go in the harness. Yeah. Because all of our cats have adjusted to catio life except for Rocky, because he spent three years being an indoor outdoor cat. You,
2: you walk your cat on a harness. Yeah.
3: You saw that on
1: Facebook and you were like, is Laura Bricker fucking walking her cat on a leash? He right likes now? to
3: go out and chew on the grass and stare at the wood piles. So we go out and take a little walk. So I appreciate these cats and strollers. So thank you, Rachel.
1: I'll just say that cat's facial markings, either looks like Kevin Flynn or Hitler. I can't figure out which Oh, one
3: stop I'm it. Saying. Not <laughs> Hitler. All right,
1: Laura Bricker, if folks want to send their animals to you to be cat of the week, they don't have to be cats, by the way. They could be llamas. They could be emus. They could be dogs, which I strongly suggest, or any other kind of animal. How can they find you online? Of course, you can email crimewriters on gmail.com. But how can they find you on Twitter if they want to do it there? They can find me at Laura Bricker.
2: At Malibu Bricker
1: and Toby Ball. If folks want your fine takes, how can they find you on Twitter?
4: At Toby Ball NH
1: and Kevin Flynn. Do you want to be known for who you are on Twitter?
2: Yes, I'm at Kevin P Flynn.
1: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I can't encourage you enough to join our. Fucking amazing community in our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. You can find it by going to our regular Facebook page and then hit the group button. Support the show at patreon.com/slash partners in crime media and you will get all the things we talked about in the business section Four extra podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome and, really, I gotta say, personally wonderful. My one of my favorite people, Olivia Burdett, the executive producer of this. Who goes fine, to a
2: very nice college, by the way. She does,
1: but you know what? She fucking deserved to go there. The executive producer of this fine She's got program. Got it in a
2: podcast. college is
1: Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the old Loft of the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, <laughs> the <laughs> yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we Photoshop our own heads on the bodies of collegiate-level water polo players. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you
2: later. Later. You know how you like to look at like things on my body? Oh what my is God! What is this here on my above my? Hip? Oh
1: Jesus Christ! Turn around! Oh my God!
2: It's like a big welt.
1: You got a bite of some kind. That's you awesome. think a
2: spider bite? There's literally a
1: circle. Yeah, you may have gotten a spider bite. It's a giant like circle, dead circle in the middle. Oh Kevin, you have to let me lance this shit. This is gonna be amazing. It's
2: all small. Well, it...
1: you either you got some sort of bite. There's legit a bite right there. It's a, yeah. I'm gonna take a picture before
2: you. Yeah, please.
1: Medical mysteries. Oh, my God. When you see this, you're going to die.
2: I can see a little bit of it in the mirror. You're going to die. Yeah. Put your
1: hand there for scale.
2: For scale?
1: Yeah. And then we your hand a little bit to the left. There you go. All right. You ready?
2: Yeah. Show me. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually see where the fangs were. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's got a nipple.
1: It's <laughs> not a nipple.
2: It looks like a nipple.
1: It doesn't. There's it a looks brow. like Look at that. They'll say you got by like a, a spider. Boob.
2: Looks like a little boob.
1: <laughs> I think this is a good, good use of our time before we connect with Toby and Laura. Is just doing like medical stuff in the studio. I'm going to go get my pore vacuum. We can use it down here. <laughs> oh my God.